0: This is O Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, chameleon collective founding partner, Freddie Laker. Hey everyone, welcome to another week of O Ship. This week we're going to debate the age old question, or at least since the early 1900s, is the customer always right? So whether you're in sales or marketing or an entrepreneur or business owner, I'm sure you've heard this expression thrown around at least once. And it's a a great question worthy of a healthy debate. This week, I've brought in a really cool guest that I've happened to know for, I guess, approaching 10 years now, uh, called Jim Fasina. Now, when I met Jim, he was the founder of Facina Marketing Group. I was the CMO of a media company called Scout. And I was actually his client, uh, which is a nice uh, turn of uh, relationship for me. Frequently, uh, given how often I end up being on the agency or consulting side, this is a, was a really slick direct marketing group. He ran it for over eighteen years, had brought over a hundred clients to market, and then uh, sold the agency, I think, in twenty eighteen. Since then, he's actually founded another agency called Margrod, which has been helping people pivot to this kind of direct consumer world uh, that has become increasingly more important in the cu- last couple of years all while doing this he also launched about 10 years ago a direct-to-consumer coffee brand called Amora that's doing really well so simply put Jim is a, an absolute expert in direct-to-consumer marketing and I think he knows better than anyone whether or not the customer is always right and with that I welcome you to another week of Oship. Ship <music> Jim so good to see you hey Freddie how are you good to see you doing great so I heard a rumor that this is your last interview in the office you're in and I don't know if you know this. This is the last interview that I'm doing from this office. So this is a, a good day, but a sad sentimental day in some in some regards. After twelve
1: years of being here and uh moving to a new place, it is it is quite crazy. But so please excuse my bare shelves.
0: <laughs> I'm in the exact same spot. At least you've got some art up, but uh the ha that have to be mesmerized by our voices today versus the uh, the very uh simplified backgrounds we've both got. So Thank God for the audio podcast. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, I look forward to having quite the uh, conversation with you today. Uh, well, again, I, I really appreciate your time. I, I did my best to, to you know, do your background justice. You know, I know you quite well. I'd love for you to maybe give a little bit more background on your own experiences. And so then one we'll understands today, you know, the kind of expertise you bring to this conversation. That'd be great.
1: Freddie, I've been in direct-to-consumer for over 30 years. Worked at companies like uh, Kraft Foods and uh, Nestle and Scholastic, all in direct-to-consumer subscription marketing. Founded uh, my own agency in the early 2000s and uh, ran that for about 18 years. Sold it uh, three years ago after having the uh, opportunity to help over 100 companies come to market. Uh, during that time, we also launched our uh brand of Amora coffee and tea. Uh, We are celebrating our 10 year anniversary this year. So it's been uh, quite the celebration with our uh, consumers. Last year, we decided to help uh, people pivot into what direct to consumer as the pandemic has uh, really started to drive e-commerce needs versus uh, just retail. And that company is called Margrod.
0: That's uh, super interesting. I definitely want to get into uh, at some point more. around uh, more. I mean, 10 years is, is a great run. I'm sure you've learned a lot along the way. Let's uh, jump in uh, specifically around the original subject for today. And so I, I thought I, a great place to start, you know, maybe before addressing the question head on is, how do you tell the difference between what a customer wants and what a customer needs?
1: You know, Freddie, I think that's a really interesting question. And, you know, sometimes I put myself into that very own position. So for example, customers need healthcare, health insurance versus wanting it, they need it. And then there's customers who may want, you know, deep streaming digital services versus needing it. And when I differentiate the two, I look at what a want is versus a need. And when you're marketing, if you're marketing a need, uh, we we look to market in a fashion that provides easy access for a consumer um, versus a want is really more about engaging that consumer and keeping that want integrated, interesting and engaging for that uh, customer. Otherwise, that that want is no longer
0: a desire. And, and if you look back at, uh, I guess, I mean, not just the last 10 years more, but I guess your whole career, what have you learned about selling to wants versus needs? So, again, with a uh, with a need,
1: it, it, it's all about uh, providing easy access and uh, ensuring that uh, that need that that customer has is something that uh, can be fulfilled quite easily on the customer's side. For a want or a desire, it's more important about keeping that customer engaged and keeping that customer in a mindset that says, I want your product. So- a need often becomes a product that a customer no longer has to think about if you're positioning it correctly. Mm-hmm. A want and a desire is very competitive. And uh, that want and desire is a product or a service that you're going to have to highly engage your customer with. And that's that's been our experience uh, in the past.
0: And This is a small tangent, but I know you do a lot of uh, subscription-based e-commerce. You know, both directly and, and with your own clients. Do you think uh, that you a subscription-based works better with uh, needs or wants, or if it's a, you know, even if it's a wants, do you want to try and get them on the subscription as quickly as possible? I mean, it, you know, I'm wondering how e-commerce you know, business models basically play into this. So yes, yes,
1: and yes, Freddie. So okay. let's take a a, a need. There are often areas where people, unfortunately, don't have access to good, clean drinking water, and they, they have to resort to bottled water. And so I consider that a need versus a want. And it's quite heavy to lug water from the grocery store, so that might be one of those subscription ideas within a, uh, a need that just makes common sense for it to show up at your door. Okay? Then you take a want. Okay. And they want like a moral coffee. It's a uh, super premium coffee. It is um, certainly, you know, amongst a lot of competition. And so, but that's a, um, that's more of a want and marketing that in a subscription format. Okay. We look at it in a couple of different ways. One is we never want the consumer to run out of coffee. That just gives them the opportunity to go out and uh, treat themselves to something else. And number two, rather than going to the grocery store and bringing it home on each grocery trip, we'd rather ship it to you fresh and direct from the roaster. So that's where that subscription model seems to make a lot of sense.
0: So shifting gears a little bit, Let's kind of narrow in a little bit more around uh, today's subject around whether the customer is, is always right. So I guess I'd like to start, let's maybe maybe start with the most basic version of this. When is the customer right and when is the customer not right uh, in your point of view?
1: So it's interesting because I've seen it all over. I'm sure you've seen it all over. And, you know, I, I, I see signs that say, you know, rule number one, the customer is always right. Rule number two, if the customer is wrong refer back to rule number one. <laughs> and so my position on that is nobody can always be right. And it's always a two-way street. And so, but that doesn't mean that the company, the organization who's providing a product or a service shouldn't try to make sure that that consumer has everything that they want and need. Okay, but you know, when is a consumer right? When's a consumer wrong? A consumer's wrong, I believe, when they mistreat the individual on the other side who's trying to help them. Here, here, and starting as uh, you know, I started my career as a customer service rep, and uh, you know, and it, that's a rough job. Being a customer service rep, you're you're serving as a punching bag for quite a bit of the time, and so that's when the customer's just not right. Nobody's right when that's the position that uh, is, is being taken. So instantly that puts our guard up. Okay. And then uh, of course we'll go into escalation mode and escalation mode quite often comes back to both me and my partner, Marina DiDomenico. Okay. Whereas we'll call the customer. Okay. And if the customer's wrong, that's fine. We're going to still solve their problem. One way or the other, we're going to solve their problem. Okay. When's a customer, right? Look, Organizations make mistakes all the time. We do. We make mistakes all the time. So when we're when we're wrong, we're gonna right that wrong. If we double shipped you by mistake, well, it's on us. Fantastic.
0: Mm. I feel like you know uh, when I look back at the last, let's say twenty years of my own career, and worth noting a small anecdote. My my first uh, kind of you know b- business at, at Laker.net, my very un- unoriginally named Laker.net, uh, I did a very healthy amount of customer service and technical support uh, in a, for a dial-up internet, and I, I do think that being a customer service uh, rep at one point in your life it gives you almost a a zen like ability to just uh, later in your life to just start at letting, letting small frustrations uh, just kind of you know breeze over you because once, once you've been a customer service rep, everything gets a little easier to deal with because I think you just have to, you do have to deal with so much of other people's stress that you start learning to not stress with the small stuff. At least that's how I feel it impacted me. I, I don't know if you feel the same.
1: But, well, it's exactly right. And I, I think we're still fortunate enough to live in a world where it, that's a small percent of our audience. It's a small percent, but they have high impact. And the other side of that small percent, which is the vast majority who are very respectful and and, uh, aren't taking a position of "I'm, I'm right just because I'm right, those folks don't want to see that kind of behavior because it sort of spoils it for everybody. If you have to deal directly with a customer being abusive, and that customer, you having to do whatever you have to do to satisfy that customer because of the abusive approach. The problem becomes for the rest of the customers that that they wind up absorbing that cost. And if you ask other customers, they that's such a great great insight. You're going to catch so many more bees with honey than you than you are with vinegar.
0: Period. But there's there's there, but there's an, actually an impact that a bad customer, those customers that in in fact are not right actually impact all the customers that are truly right by creating an operational burden for your organization. If I, if I, again, looking back at my own life, I think if you'd asked me this 10 years ago, or maybe even 15 years ago, I would have said, absolutely, the customer is always right. I think I operated by that mantra. Uh, I was also operating in a very highly commoditized industry at the time, you know, with, with internet access. And I sometimes wonder, you know, when you're in a commoditized industry, do those, do those types of businesses maybe struggle more with saying, well, the customer is right or wrong, that because they maybe they're fighting for every customer, you know, so so much, and they take and you take that abuse, even though it's not right to take that abuse. And I think your point around that that actually not serving the greater business is a fair point.
1: Freddie, you 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 just sparked a uh, a memory for me, is uh, when I started working at Kraft Foods in the late 1980s. Absolutely, you're right. It was customers always right. The customers always right. I was fortunate enough to work underneath a uh, leadership team where the position wasn't the customer's always right but the position was the customer is always your central focus always Mm -hmm. and that was real strong grounding for me anyway in terms of uh getting my career off the ground through other companies and our agencies and our own company is the customer does need to be kept as the center focus. Why? No customers, no business, okay? And quite frankly, they are in control. They are buying your, your your product or your service. But that doesn't make everybody right. It just, it does put the customer into central focus. And that's, that's critical. At Amora, our number one operating principle is simple. Any customer communication must result in that customer being in a better state of mind than prior to that
0: communication, period. It's our number one operating principle. It's a good rule to live by. You, you know, I was, I was trying to think about a, these situations that where the customer isn't right, or certainly as a business owner, the customer service rep, the, the leader, whoever it is, the, has deemed that they feel that the customer is wrong. And on some level, I almost feel like you're picking and choosing your customers by saying that, right? Because you're going to say, look, if you're saying, look, the customer is wrong. You're, you're effectively, you're, you're going to say, look, I, I, by choosing not to agree with you, I'm effectively breaking the customer-client customer, customer uh, client relationship. And and maybe that's a, a healthy thing. You know, I think especially when you start thinking about the fact that every one of these clients that maybe aren't aligned or, or creating negative cultural experiences for your staff are literally costing you money. But I'd love to talk about the cultural impact of this. So in all these various organizations that you've operated, obviously customer service is part of that. What do you think the cultural impact is, particularly on the customer service department of either having a customer is always right mentality or not so, uh, you know, in that organization? I think if,
1: in an organization, like a customer service organization, if we're not living by honesty, integrity, and respect on both sides of the table, then I think that customer service center is going to wind up having high turnover.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because because I think every one of us deserve honesty, integrity, and respect with everybody that uh, we engage with. And and if you're not getting that, well, it's, it sort of becomes a means to an end of somebody leaving. So I think that's critically important. So That's why we're so sensitive to top-down directives of this is the only way it can be, and Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're not on the front lines. Um, So I do think that can uh, impact culture at a customer service center. And then when you start talking about maybe some of the business rules that you put in place where uh, you might uh, be picking and choosing your customers, again, for us, it's pretty simple. If if that customer has a problem, we're going to solve for it, Okay right or for wrong. Okay. We're going to solve for that problem. If the customer is going to treat our advocates, our customer service reps with dishonesty or disrespect, then yes, we are picking our customers because we don't want them in our portfolio family of um, subscribers.
0: So that is a choice that we make. I'm I'm going to put you on the spot for a minute. So what happens in a situation? If, if the customer, you know, is potentially always right, or maybe not, depending on which part of the spectrum you fall in this, but what happens in a situation where a customer complains, they've made an accusation, and there is actually no ability to, to prove or track it in any direction, and it's really just the word of the customer versus maybe a word of an employee. Do you side with the employee, or do you side with the customer when there's no way to prove it. It's a, he said, she said, it's a good, one. it's a good, it's a good test.
1: And she said we solve for the problem. We call a truce. Okay. And uh, we assist that customer in whatever that need might be. Maybe, maybe to refund, maybe to reshipment. Yeah. Okay. And then we watch, and if it happens again, then, then we know. And
0: you they could have to detect a pattern. That's a fair point. Right. Cause if it is an employee, maybe you, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. A pattern, yeah, I think that's very fair. The only time we take a
1: hard line, Freddie, is, you know, if, if a customer calls and really abusive, vulgar, profane. Mm-hmm. I okay, have zero tolerance for that nonsense on a side note. Uh, yeah. It's very simple. Okay. Yeah. We, we refund the money. We don't ask for the product back. And we don't allow you to order from us
0: again. Yeah. Good for you and that's cutting people off with some really good coffee for the rec- record they're going to regret that
1: <laughs> right and it's, it's sort of it's sort of you know one negative experience or one abusive experience with our customer service team okay you know offsets 500 positive experiences they've yeah, had true it's treat the person on the other side of the phone as you would want to be treated if it were you on the other mm-hmm. side of the
0: phone it's i, I know it sounds cliche But a lot of people don't practice this, even though they they talk it. So I'm going to put you on the spot again. Can you (laughs) tell me about a time where the customer is right and you were wrong? Do you mind being that vulnerable?
1: I don't mind being that vulnerable because I I really learned from it. And look, you and I can have a conversation. I've I've made wrong decisions lots of times. Okay, that's part of the business. But there was this one particular case where uh, it got elevated to me where uh, it it was a whole bunch of shipments, uh, seven, eight, nine, 10 shipments, a year's worth of shipments that the uh, customer decided to charge back on their credit card. And the credit card company allowed it to go through. And so I was kind of miffed by the fact that you've been receiving all this coffee for the last seven, eight or nine months, and you've just decided you don't want the coffee. And instead of calling and asking for a return or refund or whatever, without giving us an opportunity to solve for it, you called the bank and just, in my mind, fraudulently charged yep. it back. So I decided to uh, inquire, okay. And but before I inquired, I fought the bank, okay? Mm-hmm. And and we won. Mm-hmm. And we got our money back. And I had only learned to find out after I inquired because I really wanted to understand what happened. And I did this wrong. I should have inquired first. The person had passed away and, t- and had to oh. see. Okay. Oh, sure. and so, so shipments were showing up and nobody realized shipments were showing up. And I guess who was ever ultimately finalizing things saw that there was all these charges on the card and just charged it back. So I learned. What I learned from that was inquire first before just assuming fraudulence. And so I'll never forget that.
0: I'm sure that hits you as <laughs> one of those ones where you find the news, and you just kind of slowly slink under your desk because you're like, oh, God, what did I do? But, I you know,
1: those, are, but, but those are the things we learn from. Yeah. And, and we actually yeah. change. We actually changed processes as a result of doing that. So I immediately put the person in the wrong and, and yeah. they
0: weren't. I was. Uh, very man of you uh, to admit that's a great a great great example i'm going to count that as your O ship story for the day because i think <laughs> that definitely definitely qualifies you know let, let's jump uh, gears a little bit in, into into more in general so you just had your 10-year anniversary congrats that's that's huge uh it's a great product can you talk a little bit about the origin story of that because at the time i mean you were deep in agency land when when you birth birthed to this company right We
1: were, it was um, 2011 when we had launched. And so we were right in the middle of agency land. We had lots of other clients that we were uh, managing uh, direct-to-consumer for and building their subscription businesses and e-commerce businesses. And we handled the entire ecosystem of offer, media, creative, operations, warehousing, merchant processing, customer service, everything. And so one of our clients was uh, was a coffee client. And that was uh, Javalia Coffee, and we were doing a lot of business with them. And they they had decided at the time to uh, compete with Starbucks, and they were winding down at the retail level, and they were winding down their direct to consumer coffee business. So we asked for permission to uh, launch our own coffee business, and they granted us uh, permission, which was very very nice
0: of them. And so, so just to be clear, you basically felt like you were, you were watching them doing this, and what were you thinking? Like, hey. This is crazy. Like we know how we know how to do this. We should keep the keep this thing going. Is that kind of the mentality. Well, we know how to do it, but it was beyond that. It it um there 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 was
1: now a void in the marketplace. And before waiting for another competitor to come in and fill the void, we decided to fill the void ourselves. And so and, and, and Amora was born. But, you know, we, we we were able to put together the offer strategies, the creative strategies, all the operations, the entire tech stack, all of that. I mean, we 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 just went through a major new tech stack um, conversion. We could talk about that later. You know, we, we had the baby. The baby was born and didn't didn't have a name. And we're trying to figure it out. And, uh, and, you know, every name we came up with was taken. And Marina and I were sitting one day. And by the way, we're a family-owned company. Uh, Marina and I are married. Okay. And uh, we said, well, you know, coffee is all about freshness. It's all about aroma. And what does aroma sound like backwards? And that's Amora. And Amora is love. So the love of coffee and Amora coffee has since been traded. That's a great name.
0: So I and I didn't even think about the aroma backwards. That's that's uh very cool. Okay, I love that. Good. I'm glad I asked. I can't believe I didn't know that before. <laughs>
1: it, it, you know, it just it just jumped up one day. It was like, you know, I mean, we had we had strategy sessions around names and it just popped up one day.
0: Great brands, great ideas, great names have a funny way of doing that. I feel like you could just paint over them forever and out of nowhere, they just they just kind of hit you. That's exactly what happened to us. And then, you know, as far as a a direct consumer business goes, again, you've been doing it for a long time, specific to, um, you know, even your own business. What would you say the biggest things that have changed uh, over the last, you know, let's say 10 years ago versus last year?
1: So it's actually a two part answer because um, what's changed last year versus what might have changed a couple of years before versus 10 years ago. And so, 10 years ago, um, subscription was more about um, continuity and which was more about there wasn't as much flexibility and the product would come on a cadence that was uh, selected. And uh, it was, I call it the take it or leave it type of model. And so so it, it, it was there for if, if you wanted it and, and if you didn't want it, then you would expire out. And that's very different than what today's subscription is. And today's subscription is all about the service that the consumer controls, whether that's product, whether that's variety, whether that's intervals, whether that's skipping shipments. And so that's that. that there's a significant difference in the last 10 years around the subscription model and capabilities ex- itself, especially as the e-commerce and the digital platforms allow us to be so flexible with our uh, customers or customers to be so flexible with our service. But if you look at it versus a year or two ago, uh, a year or two ago, as the global pandemic has come down on all of us, uh, there was a significant pivot to buying direct or, and buying online, whether that was e-commerce and buying one shots from a store or mm-hmm. whether that was some um, staples or uh, essential needs and doing that on a subscription basis because it was easier. Uh, so in the last year or two, the entire subscription landscape, e-commerce landscape has certainly increased and multiplied beyond mm. where it was uh, just a couple of years uh, earlier. So
0: so, so ultimately, it was, it's been good for your business then?
1: It has. And it's, you know, uh, nobody, nobody wants to profit off of um, a misfortune. Uh, so yeah. so what Amora has been doing is uh, we've been working very hard at trying to give our subscribing customers discounts, our one-shot customers the ability to buy not at full price. When the pandemic first started, we helped our entire customer file by actually providing them grocery gift cards just because we thought it was our way of helping.
0: Always oh, the good guy, Jim. I love I love hearing that. That's great. You're doing it right as, as usual. I have, to, I have to ask, You know, when you think about what you saw 10 years ago, you t- you're talking about Getting into the into subscriptions space, and obviously, I was living this at the same times as well. That the tech was not so easy to get in. You know, at this point, there was e-commerce platforms but no one had really figured subscription out well. So people were having to build a lot of custom platforms and things like that. Now, I think to your point, you know, so many of the major platforms have you know, subscriptions just a naturally integrated component of these platforms. So the the technological barrier to entry is much 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 lower it is simultaneously i'd say there you know there's a a higher interest around it but i'd then uh, say at the same time the sophistication of the players and the space is also up exponentially so the barrier to entry now might be quality of execution brand strength things like that and then the other one i was wondering is it could be you know barrier is actually supply chain because um you know it's it just Obviously, challenging times out there. Any any reaction to that? Is that, Does that kind of ring true to you, or do you think they don't quite? Or I'd love to get your your kind of your input.
1: Well, I, I think both ring true. So so one is today's subscription platforms and e-commerce platforms are enterprise platforms. They're not legacy type platforms and and custom builds. And the nice part about that is that everybody has the opportunity to move their business forward with the enhancements that are being made to these platforms uh, because these enhancements are being made globally now are there some restrictions where you might might have been able to do something at a custom level where you might not be able to do that in some of these enterprise platforms sure there are okay but the difference is that you could do so much more on these enterprise platforms okay and these enterprise platforms are developing their interaction with the consumers in a format that is almost like when you're driving, you understand what a stop sign looks like. You know who has the right of way when turning left or turning right. They're bringing these checkout processes together so that a consumer understands where they are in the flow and it's not alien to them. Most of what I do, most of what I do in uh, Margrod, our agency on direct-to-consumer and e-commerce, is uh, assisting clients in converting from their legacy systems over to these new enterprise systems. And so um, that's been, that's been uh, a very keen focus of ours. That is really, and I think you're going to see that continue to evolve over the years. I think we're just, I think we're just at the tipping point okay, of what these enterprise systems and all their integrations can do. And then when you shift over over to supply chain, supply chain's rough. If it's corrugated, you're paying 2X on what you were paying in the past. If you're trying to bring you know containers in from overseas, you're paying 2, 3X of what you were paying in the uh, in, in the past. E- even in the coffee market, not only do we have supply chain issues due to, to COVID, but uh, Brazil, it's you know it's pretty nationally well known. Okay, Brazil had a drought and then and then a frost, and so even coffee beans are in are, are in short short supply. And that's where I think companies really need to start to become creative. What are you going to do when you have a supply chain challenge? Do you just pass the cost on to the consumer? Well, I think we're seeing that in our inflationary numbers today. It's very clear to see in our inflationary numbers. Okay. For us, we're not. We've decided that um, we're going to ride it out. We're going to ride it out for as long as we can. We bought long on our coffee, thank God. And uh, But we're going to ride it out and we're not going to pass a price increase on to our consumers. Uh, if anything, we're still discounting to try and help our consumers during this time. But you know, in everything you read about coffee, you're going to see you're you're you're, you're watching your cup of joe is going to um,
0: increase in cost. So uh, and congrats on going along on your coffee, by the way. I just had a vision of a Jim Facina kind of Scrooge McDuck type image of you just swimming in giant you know buckets of bean beans. You know, as you've hoarded all these beans, so you could keep your costs down. <laughs> Thank God we have a
1: very, very strong coffee partner that um, knows a lot more about that than I do.
0: Well, smart, smart partner. I'm, I'm going to jump back to our original subject for a second. And I'd like to give my take on this, the customer is always right. And, you know, the customer is always right is a tricky challenge. And I think that the the words of advice that I would give anyone who's uh, listening or watching our ship today would be when the customer – is telling you their point of view whether it, assuming that let's let's scratch all the people that make it hard to listen to you because they're being toxic or 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 you know, not the kind of customer you want because of the way they handle themselves but when a customer is telling you something and you don't agree with the point of view they have about your business or how someone handled it I think it's really easy for a lot of people out there to Instantly go. I I'm not like that, or my business isn't like that. I know my business isn't like that, and 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 put and put a wall up, and and I would say that I'm not saying you always have to agree with them, but I am saying that everyone should really take a moment to pause, really listen, reflect, maybe even sleep on it for a night. Because I know a lot of people, and I might even include myself in this basis. My first reaction is to go maybe no, and then when I process things for a bit, I'll start to go maybe they were right in more areas than I gave them credit for. And so, you know, when a customer is taking the time to call you, because a lot of times they don't even call you to tell you you're wrong. They just fire you. Yeah. I know, you know, or especially if it's a commoditized product, they just stop using your product. They stop buying you. They pick a competitor. You don't even know that you were wrong. They just change. And so if a customer is actually taking the time to call you, that's actually more. Than 99% of people are going to do for you out there, and take the time to listen. You don't always have to agree, but you should be thankful for those those people that call. Maybe you don't even like how they're expressing it, but take opportunity to ask some questions. You've just got a willing participant in a dialogue. Again, most people aren't so fortunate. You're not going to, you know, if they're. Going totally off the rails, again, you may say, look I just don't want this person as a customer, but don't do that just because you didn't like what they said. Maybe you don't like how they said it and that may be worth getting the rhythm for, but don't do it just because you didn't like what they said and really use this as a time to take an inventory and uh, of yourself, your business, and your stuff. Sometimes you know I' uh, as, as the, the CEO, the boss, the VP, the manager, whatever, you can be oblivious to things that are happening. Under your watch, because people are always on best behavior for their boss. I can speak from my own personal experiences. People that were notable problems within my own businesses or in companies where i have been a partner or whatever, and and I just didn't see it. I just couldn't see it because they were always awesome around me, and I loved them. But they were not like that around anyone else. And so, you know, maybe these customers are the canary in the coal mine kind of thing, and and take advantage of those moments. Any reaction to that, Jim? It is so much
1: easier to learn from what you've done wrong than to learn from what you've done right. Why? You don't generally get the calls when you've done something right. You'll, you'll get the calls when you've done something wrong.
0: If Alexa, but if you're lucky, if you get the calls, sometimes they
1: just <laughs> just change on you. You know? you know, funny, that's one of the reasons why, you know, we have 24-7, 365. Okay, if we didn't want to hear from our customers, we, we could change that. It's really important to us. Okay, whether it's email or phone or chat, whatever it might be, it's super important to us. But even if we disagree... Okay, if uh, if if somebody brings something to our attention, it only gives us the opportunity to make it better. Okay, and so if somebody calls us up and 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 we do get these calls, your Elegante Coffee is the best coffee I've ever tasted. Okay, and 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 we love hearing that feedback, and we get those reviews. Okay, that's not going to help me as much as somebody calling me up and saying. I ordered my elegante coffee, and for some reason it's not here, and I ordered it 14 days ago. Can you help me figure it out, figure out why? Well, okay, that helps me look at um, our logistics side, okay? Or if somebody calls us up and says, you know what, this, this, this bag of coffee, was it, it tastes terrible, and the bag was soft. Well, now I know my bag was punctured, okay? So now I know. Okay. So that's how that, you know, we, we take all of that as a uh, learning experience. Okay. Because if we don't listen to that, we're not going to be able to learn and build our business. And that's how we have built our business. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have built our business. That's how we've helped other companies build their businesses. And anybody, I'll go back to how I started. Anybody who thinks they're right about everything all the time, there's no room for Somebody is always being right. There's just no room for mm. it. It's, it's kind of very old school thinking, I
0: think. I think that is a great, a wise words to live by and a perfect way to end this week's O-SHIP. Uh, Jim, that was a, a great, great conversation. I'm glad we we're able to have a, a healthy debate around a, a subject that's been around for a while, but people still talk about it all the time. I think we're both air, uh, going on the side of the customer isn't always right. Is that fair?
1: I think that's fair.
0: I think that's fair from our
1: own experiences, both being the customer and not being the customer, being the provider of the service or the goods.
0: But definitely don't be dismissive of these customers. At the end of the day, they are the lifeblood of your business. So uh, I'd like to thank everyone who's been watching. If you'd like to learn more about O'Ship Show or find out about any of our audio podcasts or all the different channels that we broadcast across or stream to, go to OShipShow.com. Uh, thank you for what, those of you, whether you've been watching on uh, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, or Twitter live today. We uh, love seeing uh, engagement with the show. So again, thank you for your participation. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of OShip. Please, if you'd like to support us, the best thing you can do is uh, you know subscribe to any of our channels or uh, give us a like or even share on your social feeds. So really, really, really appreciate it. And if you'd like to learn more about Jim, you can find out more about him at, at any of his uh, social profiles or uh, Jim Facina on Twitter, or they can just check out your agency, Margrod. What's the web address for Margrod?
1: Uh, so you can reach me at jim at com.
0: perfect and then also uh, check out a more coffee it's really it's great stuff and uh definitely if you haven't had a chance to taste it it's uh you know, really really premium the real deal stuff if you're a real coffee lover so thanks so much everyone and i appreciate you joining us for this week's Oship. thank you jim take care the O Ship Show is brought to you by Chameleon Collective, where we lead, scale, and adapt to build and grow great companies. You can learn more at chameleoncollective.com. Freddie will see you next time when we will once again be raising the sales for the O Ship Show.